Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Our teaching text today is taken from Galatians 2, verse 19 to 21. For through the law I died... For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is your first Sunday in church. You're so welcome. Can I invite you all to stand with me? Um, If you're able, that would be wonderful. Um, If we haven't met before, my name's Stu. Um, I'm part of the team here. It's my privilege to serve as the executive pastor at the Vineyard. And um, we're really glad that you're here. And um, we hope that you're having a really good morning with us. And here's the thing. If you are new and um, if this is your first time in church, this is your first time connecting with Lagan Valley Vineyard, you would have already been able to pick up a few things about the kind of community that we are. We are passionate about worshiping Jesus. We believe that Jesus is alive and that he is at work today, hence why we want to pray for healing. And we believe that that is available to us. We also love Dolly Parton and believe that we just want to take ourselves way too seriously. We take the things of Jesus super seriously and what he's doing amongst us, but we don't take ourselves seriously ever at all. Yet, We are aware that we live in really strange days, right? We live in complex times, it's full of tension, it's kind of full of uncertainty, that we are more polarized than ever before. We live in a really, really confusing time and even a very confusing week. There's so much that is swirling around the news, there's so much that's swirling around this place that we love and the place that we call home. And with all of that, us as the people of God have a couple of choices to make. Either we can just get a bit apathetic, just think, don't really care about this at all, switch off. We can either get cynical or angry, which is what we're seeing a lot around us, or we can do the Jesus thing and learn to live with hope once again. And hope, we believe here at the Vineyard, is best practiced through prayer. And so with all that is happening in our land at the minute, with decisions that are to come, decisions that may or may not be made, with changes that may or may not be implemented, and most importantly, however, the people that are behind the policies on the ground living their lives, we really need to pray. And so we're just going to create a moment to pray now, but I also want to, like, I'm going to use a good, proper New Testament word, charge you as our community to pray in these days. Because we also want to be the kind of people who pray with hope, recognizing that even in strange days, confusing days, moments of change, moments of cultural upheaval, that time and time again, that has been the space whenever revival and renewal has come alive around us. So I'm gonna pray. Um, I'm gonna encourage you to pray with me. Um, If it's helpful to reach out your hands, please do that. And also, As I pray, and if you agree with what I'm praying, like, agree with me out loud. Affirm what we're praying here. You can be as loud as you want to be as I pray. Prayer can be incredibly quiet, incredibly contemplative, 
but it can also be involving a lot of contending. And this is a moment for us as the church to contend. So if you agree with what I'm praying, let out a little bit of, you know, welly or whatever. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize you as king over all things, renewer over everything. We recognize your goodness and your love for this place that we call home and every single person in it. And so Lord, into the complexity, into the change, into the potential for change, we pray that you would come, Lord Jesus. We pray that your kingdom would come. King Jesus, we pray for our political leaders right now. This morning, we pray for them. And we pray that our government installment would be back up and running really, really soon. We pray for good governance. We pray for good decisions for the flourishing of people all across this country. We pray that tribalism and traditional lines would be laid down for the sake of people's good. And Lord, in all of this, we see that you are moving. In the complexity, in the confusion, you are moving. So awaken our land and revive our hearts, we pray. Lord, would you let your kingdom come here? And Lord Jesus, would you shape us into the kind of people who would be filled with hope? people who tell a better story, people who are deeply compassionate, people who contemplate your goodness and contend for more of your glory to be known amongst us. Jesus, would you let your kingdom come? And even right now, Lord, as we do what we have always done since the beginning, we've gathered together in community, in a room to open up your scriptures. We open ourselves up to you this morning. So would you teach us? Would you speak to us? Would you shape us? Would you free us? And Lord Jesus, lead us in the direction of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said it, amen, amen. Thank you, please grab a seat. Thank you for praying. And again, let me encourage you, I charge you to be praying. And if you are hungry to pray right now, with everything that's going on, you're wanting to respond. You're like, how on earth do I respond to all of this? And you feel this desire to pray. There is a place and a moment in our community whenever some of us are gathering together. Um, it's on Tuesday mornings between 7 and 8.30 a.m. before we go to work, before we drop our kids off to school, and um, before we start our day, we are wanting to just create a moment for us to just contend and to contemplate and to do it together in community. We want to be faithful in this. We're going to keep showing up on a Tuesday morning and just praying for you, our church community, for the Lagan Valley region, for our land, and for anything else that we want to be praying about. So can I really encourage you? Come along to Tuesday morning prayers, even if it is just for five minutes. Um, if you're on the school run with your kids, just pop in on the way. We love to pray with them as well. We kind of have this set thing between like five past um, seven and 7.30, some time for contemplation. And then from 8.30, sorry, from 7.30 to 8.30, we're just spontaneous in our prayers, gathering up what we want to pray for and just going for it. And um, if you've got any questions about that, if you want to find out more, come and speak to me um, or come and speak to Lauren Jackson, um, who, um, like I was thinking about this, I was praying about you earlier. You are a giant whenever it comes to prayer in our community. Like you actually are. And the most petite person in our community is the most powerful prayer. And um, yeah, we just wanna honor you in that and celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life. So if you've got any questions on prayer, come and speak to me, come and speak to Lauren. And you're so welcome to join us, bleary-eyed, yawning all of the time whenever it comes to Tuesday morning prayers. But trust me, as... We pray God leads us and God shapes and builds his church.
All right, let's dive right in. We are in week two of our Galatians series. And last week we spent some time exploring why Paul felt so compelled to write this particular letter to these young church plants in Galatians. And if you weren't around, um, can I really encourage you to listen back to the podcast from last week, because there was a lot of ground that we covered. But let me just very quickly catch you up with a brief summary. Paul the Apostle planted four churches in a region known as Galatia, and he was uh, spreading the gospel of the kingdom there. This gospel that he defined was made up of grace and peace. And people's lives were being transformed, particularly the lives of Gentiles, those outside of the Jewish community. And they were being transformed by a gospel that is summed up so well by Brennan Manning. If you want to flick up um, the first slide, Jackie. Brennan Manning describes grace like this. This is wonderful. The message is this. God loves you unconditionally, as you are and not as you should be, because nobody is as they should be. It is the message of grace a grace that pays the eager beaver who works all day long the same wages as the grinning drunk who shows up at 10 till five. A grace like the good father that hikes up the robe and runs breakneck towards the prodigal reeking of sin and wraps him up and decides to throw a party. No ifs and buts. This grace is indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. Grace is sufficient. Grace is enough. This gospel of grace and peace that we unpacked last week, it speaks of Christ's complete, finished, sufficient work for us. It's a gospel that we cannot achieve for ourselves, but only humbly receive. And yet, into this context, there is a bunch of hyper-conservative Jewish false teachers who literally ran to these four churches in Galatia to preach a different kind of gospel. Not the gospel of grace and peace, but they were teaching that Jesus' grace wasn't sufficient, that it wasn't enough, that you had to add on these traditional Jewish practices to your life so that you could become a proper Christian. And with all of that, Paul is heartbroken. His heart breaks because he's seeing these churches leave this gospel of grace and peace and moving towards a gospel that I described last week as being defined by our efforts and by our energies, which really is no gospel at all. And as they go back on themselves, they're finding that they're being enslaved. They had access to everything that they longed for, grace, peace, and freedom, but they turn around, they go back into slavery. So. If you've got a Bible with you, I'd love you to turn with me to Galatians chapter two. Just turn me there real quick. In chapter two, we can see that Paul is still very much on the warpath, like he is a wild man. And throughout chapters one and two, Paul is holding up these two gospels, either the fake plastic counterfeit gospel of grace, oh sorry, of energies and effort, or the gospel that sets us free the one that's defined by grace and by peace. So that was what was going on in chapter one. But in chapter two, Paul is essentially just backing himself up once again. And there's two interactions that he speaks of. One where he meets the, like the lead apostles, like the OGs in the early church. Um, and he's just meeting them. He brings Titus, um, a Gentile, along with him. 
And basically what he discovers over the course of this is that these apostles were affirming the gospel that Paul was preaching. They didn't say that Titus needed to be circumcised. He was delighted about that news. And they were just saying, actually, the gospel that you're preaching is good. We bless it and we release you. They extend the right hand of fellowship and they bless them in what they're doing. And Paul's putting this in here to say, you know the way that you false teachers are kind of having a bit of a go at me? You're saying that what I'm doing is wrong. Actually, you should listen to the apostles because they're agreeing with me. And then he goes on to a second interaction and it all really kicks off in verse 11 of chapter two and it really kicks off. There's this standoff between two heavyweights in the early church, the apostle Paul and the apostle Peter. And Paul basically calls Peter out to be a hypocrite, acting like these false teachers. And there's this scrap that takes place within them, this honest scrap that goes on. I'm gonna leave you as our community to work through those two interactions in your three, two, one readings this week, which has just landed into your inbox. But we covered a lot of ground last week in chapter one. We went all over the place in terms of context and throughout the whole of the chapter. But this morning, I wanna focus right in on one verse, and it's verse 20, because in this verse, we see the heart of the gospel the heart of grace and peace. Verse 20 goes like this. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We're gonna walk through this verse line by line and then I'm gonna share some of my own story. And before uh, we wrap up though, I, I wanna create some space for us to be able to pray for you. I was really conscious last week that as I was teaching and also hearing from some of you that some of the stuff that we talked about really impacted some of your lives. And just with the way that last week ran, there was a lot that was going on in our services. We didn't really get the opportunity to pray with you and to pray for you. And so we we're wanting to create some space just to be able to bring you to the front lay on some hands and to bless you. So there will be space for that at the end of our gathering. But on all of this, in this verse, Paul is wanting to show us that this gospel of grace and peace is more intimate, more expansive, and more glorious than we could ever even imagine. So first line, I have been crucified with Christ. So much of what Paul is seeing in the Galatian church is that they're trying to work out their faith by themselves. They're thinking that it is all down to them. And so often we can fall into this trap too, can't we? We talked about this last week. We can think that we need to earn our salvation or add to what Jesus has done through good living practices or trying to get more stuff into our life, trying to seek the approval of other people or just trying to perform all of the time. And what Paul is saying here, I have been crucified with Christ. He is saying, leave that life behind. It's not down to you anymore because you're now with Christ. He has done it all for you. Paul's wanting to show us that we have entered into a significant relationship, not a transactional relationship, not a non-committal fling, but we've entered into something different, something significant. And it's really hard to describe the kind of relationship that we've entered into whenever we've entered into it with Christ because it's full of his love for us and a deep sense of longing that we have for him. It's like trying to describe or define the love that you have for your spouse or for your partner. 
and then Valentine's Day comes along and you've got to write it in. And it's like, this is the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. So we all do the same thing, right? Jump on Google, Barry White lyrics, right? Um, just me. Okay. Um, Luther Vandross and Barry White, my goodness, it's like church in the 80s right here. Um, but union, the word union comes really, really close to describe what Paul is saying here. We have this union with Jesus. We are with him. Listen to this description of the union that we have with Christ. It's gonna appear on the screen. We recognize that the person whom we've encountered, this is Jesus that we're speaking of here, speaks to our innermost being, supplies our needs, satisfies our desires. We recognize that this person gives life meaning. And I do not say a new meaning simply for we realize that before we encountered this person, life had no real meaning. We recognize that this person has revealed to us not only himself, but our own true self as well. We recognize that we cannot be our own true self except by a union with this person. In him, the obscure is illuminated. The uncertain leads to certainty. Insecurity is replaced by a deep sense of security. Who needs to hear that in our strange age today? In him, we find that we have achieved an understanding of many things which baffled us. We recognize in this person's strength and power, which we can sense passing from him to us, because remember, it never begins with us. It always starts with him. We recognize that in this person, we have encountered God. And in that, we will not encounter God in any other way. It's really hard to see this in the English translation that you've got, but the words crucified with Christ didn't exist before Paul wrote them in this letter to the church in Galatians. He added a Greek prefix, sin, which means with to the word crucified to make up a new word. What's going on here is that there are literally no words to describe the depth of the union that we have with Jesus. So Paul had to make up a word for it. He's such a boss. Like, I love that. He just made up a word. There's literally no words to describe how deep and how wide this union is that he just makes up a word for it. And we see him do this in a couple of other letters too. Do you want to flick on the next slide, Jackie? In Galatians 2.20, we are crucified with Christ. Romans 6, we are buried with him. Colossians 3, we are raised with Christ. And Ephesians 2, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Paul is doing this thing time and time again. And what's going on here? Paul is saying that we are with Christ. And because of that, every part of Christ's life has significance for us. We get to share in his life and in his obedience. We get to share in his death and his resurrection and, and his ascension. We share in his victory. Everything that belongs to Jesus is now ours. And that is the heart of the gospel, the gospel of grace and peace. Everything that is true of Jesus is now true of us. We have access to every spiritual blessing. And how? I don't have time to get into it fully, but in verse 16, we see that we have been justified. Really what's going on here is Paul saying that we were in the courtroom awaiting sentencing, but the Father, by his grace, he justifies us. The true Passover lamb, Jesus, covers us. Everything that should have hit us, hit Jesus. And not only does the Father just pardon us, 
or acquit us, but actually he paves a way for our glory. Here's what's going on here. All of the benefits, all of the realities of Christ's crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, his victory, his power over all principalities on this earth, the transformational power of his kingdom, everything that is true of him is now true of us. What about that on a Sunday morning, right? Everything that's true of him is true of us. When everything that is true of Jesus has been made available to us, why on earth do we feel the need to achieve our salvation or try to add to it? Second line, I no longer live, Paul says. Paul's saying that we can die to the old way the old way of performance, the old way of trying to achieve grace for ourselves, trying to earn this sense of freedom and peace. We can think that we can just try to muster it up for ourselves, but Paul is saying, actually, no, you don't need to live that way anymore. And yet, with all of this, something wonderfully unexpected happens. Because the greatest treasure of the gospel, greater than any benefit that the gospel brings, is the gift of God himself. And as he always does, God never holds us back from his glory. He doesn't save a little bit extra for us if we're just being really, really good Christians. He gives everything to us. And the sign of that, the marker of that, is Christ's Holy Spirit who now dwells within us. Jesus lives in you and in me. The Holy Spirit abides. He dwells in our very bodies. This unique bond that we have with Jesus finds its source in the Spirit. Consider the reality of this with me, because we're so quick to downplay ourselves, to narrow our lives, to think that we're not good enough, and yet the Holy Spirit has chosen to place himself in you. The spirit of the incarnated Jesus, who was crucified and resurrected, the one who is exalted, he is dwelling in you. He is present in this very body so that I can be united with Jesus just as the Father is united to the Son. This is a rich, glorious mystery. It's hard to wrap our heads around, and yet it is the hope of our glory. Christ in us. And so we need to not get put off by the mystery of it, kind of be a bit standoffish whenever it comes to things of the Holy Spirit. Actually, we need to dive right into it. And we get to experience the mystery of the Holy Spirit, not by learning about him, but by experiencing him. By whenever somebody says, I've got a sore back, our response should be, well, the Holy Spirit's within me. Holy Spirit heals. I am going to go and pray for that person. Our response should not be, let's try and work out this mystery in our heads. We work this thing out. We are able to kind of dive into the mystery by trying the stuff of the kingdom out, by incarnating it, by doing it. And as we do it more and more, we get to see time and time again that the Holy Spirit is alive and that he reigns in us. Whenever I hear Emma share the story about yesterday, that stirs my faith that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in her. The people who were praying for her, the Holy Spirit is alive and active in them. And because I'm a follower of Jesus too, well, he is also alive and active in me also. 
and I get to experience more of him. That is me diving into the mystery. And so with all of this, things that have happened this morning that are maybe confusing for you, you're like, oh my goodness, what was going on there whenever we were praying for backs? Whenever we talk about a healing conference that's gonna be coming up, can I really encourage you? Dive into the mystery of the Holy Spirit. Don't withdraw yourself from him. Get to experience more and more of him because it is through experience that we're able to enter into this deep mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. First Corinthians three, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. We are God's temple and his Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are now temples of the Holy Spirit. We in our bodies are now the meeting place of heaven and earth. We're gonna come back and talk about this in a wee bit more detail in a second. But the third line, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. No longer is this thing down to you. Your work, your performance, you don't need to live that life anymore. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't need to have these frantic attempts to try to find or craft or curate on social media an acceptable identity anymore. Your tireless work, your overworking, your overtime, you don't need that for your reputation to be stable or for your life to be on an even keel. Those things are done. You don't need those things anymore. You don't need to be intimidated by anybody. You don't need their approval even. You can be at rest. You can be at ease. You can be at peace. You can be free. No longer do you need to be at the helm of your life trying to drive it forward. Jesus can be the boss of your life. He can be your king, your leader, your guide. You can place your faith and your trust in him. And whenever Paul is speaking about faith here, he's describing a lifetime of faith. Because there's a danger that we can just reduce faith down to a moment whenever we live in our heads and we agree to a set number of ideas or doctrines and then we tick the box and life with Jesus is sorted. Paul is saying that faith does have a beginning. And it's the moment whenever we say yes to Jesus. And that may be something that you want to do this morning. Say yes to him and surrender your life to him. But faith, it starts somewhere, but it should be the posture of our entire lives. We are in danger of just keeping faith locked up in here. But as we trust in Jesus, place our faith in him, we're able to do this over the entirety of our days here on earth. And we do it by experience, by incarnating, incarnating, incarnating this stuff. It's a really hard thing to say. And also just by trying the stuff of the kingdom out. Faith, active faith, is how union comes alive and becomes powerful in your life. And finally, the last line. Paul's really personal here. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He's being really personal. Like Paul's a hard man, like a really hard man. And yet in this, you just hear God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Some of us, particularly men in the room, we need to learn that actually we need to be vulnerable whenever it comes to acknowledging the love that Jesus has for us 
don't be so hard in ourselves trying to be hard men, but actually God loves me and has given himself up for me. We're not the ones who have achieved it and made it, but actually it's Jesus who gave it all for us. Why is Paul being so personal here? He's being personal because he wants this to be utterly personal for you too. He wants each of us as followers of Jesus to be able to say in boldness and confidence that the defining feature of our lives should be that Jesus loves us and has given himself up for us. Because at the heart of the gospel of grace and peace, we've already said this, what is true of Jesus is also true of us. And that is especially true whenever it comes to his love. John 17, the great priestly prayer that Jesus spoke over and prayed over his disciples before he departed into glory. He says this, this is from Eugene Peterson's translation in the message. The same glory that you gave me, I gave them, Jesus said, so they'll be as, un- as unified and together as we are, I and them and you and me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way that you've loved me. What's Jesus saying here? What's he acknowledging? What's true of Jesus is true of us. In the same way that the Father loves the Son, he loves you the same. The degree of the Father's love is in direct proportion to his love for Jesus. It's the same love. Whenever Jesus rose from the waters of baptism and the heavens opened and the loud voice spoke over Jesus, declaring over his life, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That is the same declaration that is being spoken from the heavenlies over our life in every single moment that we're alive. You're my beloved and you I'm well pleased. Thomas Martin said, that the heart of our lives, the song of our lives, should be the words from Song of Songs 7. I am the beloved's, and his desire is for me. This is the heart of it all. This is the heart of the gospel. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, and who gave himself up for me. It's the heart of it all. For years and years and years, I'd been bumping up against something. Um, I, from my earliest days, went to church three times on a Sunday. And I still love Jesus. Like, it's like, that's grace right there. That's mercy. Um, I um, grew up in an amazing home, like, hear me on this, with Christian parents who have been the most supportive and have been incredible. Um, But that environment that I found myself in, going to church all the time, it did something in me made me super religious outside of church. Because from my earliest age, I went to church on three times on a Sunday, but also within my kind of like DNA, there was this, I've got to be good attitude. Got to be the good kid, the good boy. From my earliest age, I consistently sought the approval of other people. I talked about that last Sunday. 
I felt that my life was all about getting more credit, about getting more marks, getting into that university, getting that decent job because that'll get that pay packet and then life will be sorted and I now work for a church. Um, I always thought that it was about performance, about working hard, about doing my thing. I began to see, as I, as I look back now, I begin to see that actually what I was bumping up against for years and years was this gospel of energy and effort. It's got a ceiling to it. And I was banging my head off it for decades. I found myself in this cycle where all I was doing was just managing my sin, where the narrative of my life was I'm not a great Christian, so I've got to do better at it. The focus was all on myself. I was the boss of my own life. I was at the helm. I was gonna drive me forward. And I say all this, and I'm gonna keep going with some of my story because the conversation that we've been having over the past two weeks, it is deeply grounded in this text in Galatians, but it's also really, really personal for me. And I know that because you're from this part of the world, it may be quite personal for you also. I was living in this way, bumping up against this ceiling, and then life hit. People died. Sickness happened. Things started to go wrong. And then I began to look at all of this life, and I looked at God, and I asked, I've done all of this stuff for you, and this is how you repay me. And so I gave up. I continued to go to church and do that because I'm a, trying to be the good kid, the good boy, doing the religious thing. But I give up. There's nothing really going on. No connection with Jesus whatsoever. And then there was a time whenever, this would have been a couple of years later, where I got dragged along to an experience a little bit like this, like worship environment. We were worshiping, we were praying for each other. I was dragged along by, um, by some friends and there was a girl there's always a girl in these stories, right? Kind of that's how you get to those things. And I was there in this worship environment and worship was just like, it was pumping and, and my friends were like in this huddle and they were like fist pumping the air and like jumping around and, and it was like, they were just loving it. Like there was just this freedom and they were just celebrating. They were loving on Jesus and they were just declaring things or praying for each other. They're prophesying and and they were just in this huddle going for it, but I was right in the middle of the huddle, just like with my legs crossed, quiet, looking at them. They looked free. They looked as if they were having fun. They looked as if they had joy in their life, but I felt nothing other than being a bit bound up and a bit tired. And I hadn't prayed in a long time, so I prayed. And whenever you haven't prayed in a long time, your first prayer is always like pretty direct. So I prayed a prayer that went like this, God, full stop. Like whenever that's the start of a prayer, like you know, like you haven't prayed in a long time. And then I said this, God, full stop. I want to experience even just a little bit of what they're experiencing. Listen to the words that I'm, I'm quoting directly. God, full stop. I want to experience even just a little bit of what they're experiencing. The room went dark. A big room with probably a thousand people went dark. 
and I met the Holy Spirit for the very first time. And I don't need to go into the details of what happened. You can ask me, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about it. It just is unhelpful and irrelevant for right now. But it was the most profound encounter that I've ever had with Jesus right up to this point. And he revealed himself to me in that moment. But he also revealed to me a vision, a picture that has set me up for the, like the entire direction of my life. It's taken me right to this point and it's probably gonna take me right the way until I kick the bucket. In that moment, whenever the room went dark, whenever I was sat there just praying this prayer of longing for an experience, God revealed himself to me and he revealed his destiny for me. For years, I'd been bumping up against this ceiling of this gospel, this shape of life with my efforts and my energies. I was scrambling for acceptance, for identity, for recognition. I had been trapped though in it all, enslaved. I was like the Galatians. And so I prayed, God, full stop. I want to experience just a little bit of what they're experiencing. And in a moment of letting go, Jesus revealed another way to me, the way of grace, the way of peace, and the way of freedom. He flooded every single part of my body, and he flooded every single aspect of my life. He built a home in me. And in that moment, I got it. I got it. It took me decades to get there, but I got it because I experienced the gospel, the true, simple gospel for the very first time. And two things happened. I experienced the depth of his love and the expanse of his destiny for my life. I was met by his gracious love and this like vista, this new horizon just opened up for me in my life. I died to the old way. I no longer lived but Christ now lived in me. That was over a decade ago. And to be honest, nothing's really changed for me. Through some highs and through some lows, I, I'm able to say today that I no longer live. This is not about me. This is not me at the helm. Jesus is the boss of my life. Christ lives in me. And I am trying to keep up with the Holy Spirit as I live into a purpose that is so much bigger than myself. This life, the heart of this gospel that is available to us, it's all about two things. Intimacy of his love and the expansiveness, if that's a word, of his destiny. We are marked by his grace. We get to enjoy the love of the Father regardless of our performance so we can stop trying to be perfect because the one who has justified us is perfect and so we get to live into his perfection. Here's the thing, you are being seen by the Father in every single moment with a gaze of infinite tenderness. So stop looking away. Stop diverting your eye contact. Look into his eyes and see his love. But this life is also expansive. I'm gonna finish with this. Can I get the band up actually? Is that all right? This is my favorite verse, verses in the whole of scripture. Colossians 1, speaking of Jesus, 
The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy." For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and to reconcile through him all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace by the blood of the cross. And here's the thing, that same Jesus is alive in you. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And whenever we get to see that Christ is within us, we get to be shaped by his purpose and we get to have access to his power. Listen to these words from Eric Johnson. They're gonna appear on the screen. You have the fullness of God living in you. And Jesus wants to demonstrate this fullness through your life to the world around you. And so knowing that you are a living temple for the almighty God should make you aware that the solutions to all of the complexities of life are alive in you. They're alive in you. We are allowed by the Holy Spirit to have our entire lives shaped by the purpose of Jesus who is within us. And yet we have access to his power power of the resurrection, the power that rose Jesus from the dead empowers us to live into this purpose. We get to be able to experience a reshaping of our entire lives in the direction of Christ's purpose, in the direction of the kingdom. And we get to experience his power as we try and do it. You have Christ within you, the hope of glory. So in Galatians chapter one and two, before we pick up again next week, Paul is doing two things. He's taking these two gospels, this gospel of energy and effort, which binds us up, makes us tired, worn out, slaves us. Then there's this gospel of grace and peace, which makes us free, makes us alive allows us to experience God's goodness in every moment and releases us into a life that is intimate and expansive. Which one do you wanna live into, church? Which one? Which one do you wanna live into? Over the past couple of weeks as I've been praying and gearing up for teaching the opening talks of this series, my heart has been breaking for some of you. Some of you who have been giving this Christianity thing a go, whether it's been for months or for years, maybe even decades, and yet you find yourself just bumping up against the ceiling of this gospel of energy and effort. Like we talked about last week, you're bumping up against good living or trying to get more stuff into your life, the approval of others or performance. There's an opportunity this morning for you to respond, to let go and to cry out that you would experience God in this moment to encounter his Holy Spirit and to allow the defining course of your life to be, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Let's stand together, shall we? So, if you wanna experience more of Jesus's intimacy, 
If you wanna be released into more of his purpose and power, we wanna pray for you this morning. If you're tired, if you're worn out, if you're burnt on religion and you want to experience more of this life of grace and peace, we wanna pray for you. And we wanna pray for you right now. And the easiest way for us to be able to do this is just to get you to come to the front. And some of us are just gonna lay hands on you and we're gonna pray for you. We're gonna pray for a fresh indwelling of the Holy Spirit or maybe for the first time that you'll encounter the Holy Spirit. Pray that you'll be able to experience a flooding and overwhelming sense of His grace and His peace. So if you're tired of good living, trying to seek the approval of others, feeling that life is all on you or your performance and you want to experience grace, peace, freedom, purpose and power, just start coming forward now. Come to the front, come to the front. I wanna pray for you. Just come up to the front. If you want to experience Jesus in this moment, if God has been speaking to you last Sunday or this Sunday, if he's been speaking to you as you've been opening up the scriptures through Galatians, come on up. I know that there's more of you, come on up. Come on up. If you're tired of bumping up against the ceiling, if there's any young people who are finding even in their teens that they're like, I'm bumping up against this whenever it comes to studies or trying to work out what I'm gonna do for my career, can I encourage you guys to come on up too? Chris is gonna to be over beside that door and him and his team would love to be able to pray for you. So if there's young people, I'd love to encourage you to pray. All right, is there anybody else? Cool. All right, so we're gonna pray for these folks. And I mean like, we're gonna pray for these folks. So if you are a tribe leader, if you um, have studied on Compass, if you have been involved in any of the prayer ministry training that we've done over the course of the past couple of weeks, just come forward and start to lay hands on these people. And I want you guys to, yeah, if you guys can start coming. Come on, let's, let's lead right now. And I want you just to find out their name if you don't know it, just maybe a one line headline and just begin to pray for them. Begin to pray that they'd encounter the Holy Spirit in this moment. We pray for these folks. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would invade each of these lives with your goodness, with your love, with your grace and peace. Holy Spirit, rest on them, we pray. Minister to them, bless them, Lord Jesus.